way of delighting in meeting the living God and in prayer. If we are to learn to pray, Carson says we should look to the pattern of prayer found in Scripture. We're going to be discussing the Apostle Paul's priorities of prayer. How do they shape what we pray, how we pray, and who we pray for? Loving Heavenly Father, thanks so much that you invite us to continue the conversation you started. We want to know you more. This episode we have sovereignty in chapters 9 and 10, thinking about the sovereign God and then how we go about praying to him. Johnny, what stood out to you about chapter 9? Um, I think the really helpful um, framing for chapter 9 uh, that Carson gives is if God is sovereign and we are still meant to pray, so so if, if God has everything under his control and can do everything and yet we are also meant to pray, we're not necessarily going to understand why, but the Bible tells us we should pray, so let's pray. Like Let's not let any theology or doctrine make us start thinking, oh, maybe we shouldn't pray because the Bible has a lot of prayer and it definitely teaches we should pray. Um, so that's a really good basis to go from into this discussion that can end up down all sorts of rabbit holes, sovereignty and free will and all of that. He says there's two particular truths that we can get directly from scripture that we need to hold on to. One is that God is absolutely sovereign and the other that humans are responsible creatures. But not just those two things. God is absolutely sovereign and that sovereignty never acts to reduce human responsibility. Mm. And the second, humans are responsible creatures but that responsibility never acts to reduce God's sovereignty. So we get these two truths, both directly from Scripture, appearing again and again. So we need to hold them both together and not use one to trump the other, or yeah, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And, and that doesn't always feel right to me, that uh, I can't understand those things. But it's more important to worship God than to understand him. He is, he is God, after all. We need to notice that these two things are not mutually exclusive, they're not contradictory, but they do fall outside of our comprehension mm. in certain ways. I found it helpful though that he didn't just leave it there because it feels like sometimes the mystery of God can be played as a get out of jail card yeah. in these yeah. things. Oh, you don't understand him. Let's just move on. Exactly. Um, but he actually went through a series of examples in the Old Testament and a couple in the New, which exemplify this. So starting with Joseph, when speaking to his brothers in Genesis 50, he says that what they intended for harm, God intended it for good. So simultaneously in that one event of his brothers selling him into slavery, they had full responsibility for a bad intention. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, God was completely at work bringing about his purposes, which was for the good of putting Joseph in authority to save people in the time of famine. And then 
Job, he said that Job experiences this affliction, but from the introduction, where this setting between God before the angels and Satan plucking up and saying that Job is just good because he's getting blessed, God then allows the Satan to go and afflict Job. So it's possible to say that Satan afflicts Job, but it's also possible to say that God afflicts Job. Mm. And those aren't those two statements are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. There's a sense by which they're both true, but they're both true in different ways. The way in which God afflicts Job is not the same way in which Satan afflicts Job. Yeah. So God is involved in the evil. He is involved in suffering there. Yes. Carson makes a quite explicit point to say that God, in some mysterious way, without being tainted by evil himself, does stand behind unintentional manslaughter, family misfortune, natural disaster, personal grief. But when we think about those things, he said there's, we can fall into two potential traps along the way. One was to deny that God could stand behind these things at all in, in any sense. The second is to then say, accept that, that God may be standing behind evil in some way, but then start to think of it that God stands behind good, and, good things in the same way that he stands behind evil. This, he doesn't stand behind those two things in exactly the same sense. Mm. So how how should like knowing God um, to be personal and also sovereign? How should that then influence the way we pray? Don Carson directed us to Daniel nine, um, I think, in response to yeah, I like that, that kind of question. Mm-hmm. Um, a particular prayer in response to. A prophecy from Jeremiah um, I read from Daniel chapter 9 uh, starting at verse 2 uh, in the first year of his reign talking about Darius I Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years so he's got this prophecy about the exile is coming to an end And so in verse 3, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel's got hold of a promise Mm -hmm. of what God said he will certainly do. And he doesn't just think, oh, well, I'll wait it out. It's coming. It actually leads him to pray more. Yeah. What's going on there? Well, he seems to know, all right, God said he's going to do this thing. God, I want you to do this thing that you've said you're going to do. It acts as an incentive for him to to get involved, weirdly. Mm -hmm. I think it can be so easy for us to hear a promise of God and therefore just sit back and say, oh, well, God's going to do it. I'll go and spend my time doing something else. But no, he he grabs onto this and he's Mm -hmm. like, God... You've said you're going to do this thing. When are you going to do it? He, he knows that God is faithful. So he, he prays into that and says, 
Lord, bring this soon. Um, and presumably he's pretty excited about getting involved in what God is certainly going to do. So does it feel a bit demanding sometimes? Is that a demanding thing to demanding be demanding on God? To be like, yeah, telling God what He's like, and then telling God what He should be doing. Well, given that God has already said He's going to do it, I think that's part of what prayer can be: is is wrestling with with God's word. God's word has, has declared, "I am going to do this thing. Um, I am merciful. Uh, God has a name." Um, he has many names, but he's sort of his, his, he has a character. Um, and so many of the prayers in the Bible are based on people appealing to that character. So when Moses is told by God um, after the, he's gone down the mountain, he's found the, the golden calf, God says, I'm fed up with these people. I'm going to absolutely destroy them. I'm going to make you the nation instead. Moses knows that God has made promises to this people to keep them and to bring them out of Egypt into promised land. Um, God could, I think God could keep those promises by raising up a family from Moses instead. But Moses says, no, you've promised to this people, you're going to give us a, a nation. Don't, don't come across to the Egyptians like you've been really cruel because that's not who you are and God answers that prayer he doesn't destroy them so Daniel and Moses are appealing to times when God has already told them what he's like and what he's going to do. So it's not something they're coming up with. God's told them these things and they're saying, I've heard that, I've listened to that and I'm bringing it back to you. Mm. I really like the way Carson summarised this. He said that God's people's intercession is God's appointed means for bringing about his own purposes. God chooses to tell us what he wants to pray so that we then pray that so then he can bring that about. Mm, yes. He brings things about by getting us to pray for things. And that's quite exciting because yeah. every time we pray is our prayer, mm -hmm. but it is also the outworking of God working in us yeah and so every prayer that we produce maybe that's not the right word every I know what you mean every prayer is God's grace in us mm -hmm. God graciously leading us in prayer that's really cool yeah it's also kind of a little bit scary as well because it gives a much greater weight to prayerlessness as well mm nothing happens outside of God's sovereignty. So potentially our prayerlessness is an act of judgment upon us or those who would otherwise be praying for, for a time. So wait a moment. So you're saying that it is not the fact that God judges us for not praying, 
but the fact that we are not praying is a type of judgment. Yeah, in and of itself. Okay. If our prayer is the means by which God wants to bring about blessing in our life and the lives of others around us, mm-hmm. us not praying is potentially in some way limiting what we experience of that. And so it's a judgment upon us in that we're not living in or experiencing the greatest riches. And so knowing that is freeing in a sense because if you think about prayerlessness as then something which would disappoint God and bring about his judgment, we're doing a bad job, you can get caught in quite a cycle there. Yeah. Well, seeing our prayerlessness almost as a judgment upon us. You're kind of missing out. You're missing out. It then drives you to pray because you want God's mercy upon your prayerlessness that he might help you to pray. Yeah. And so to pray that prayer, mm-hmm. you've kind of got going again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're climbing a little bit out of that. Oh, that is helpful. Because I'd read that. I think I'd scanned over that and seen, oh, like, God might judge you if you're not interceding for people. Mm-hmm. But no, it's the, those people are missing out and I'm missing out on the blessing of praying for those people. Mm-hmm. Like I am <laughs> sort of judging myself in a way, like bringing punishment, like that. that is the, the thing. Yeah. Um, I'm lacking the blessing. And I think maybe that ties in with all the stuff we've had going previously in the book so far, because I'm gonna realize how much that I'm potentially missing out on <coughs> by not praying mm-hmm. only if I have eyes to see or vision to consider what it is I might be missing out on. Yes. I think a lot of the time, at least I still find that reading some of Paul's prayers can feel like, or people's exposition on them can feel like such dense, dense Christianese. Yeah. I don't even get a grasp of what it is that they're an intuitive grasp of what they're praying for. Mm. And so you don't feel massively disappointed if you're not getting it. Yeah. But if, like we've had all from all the previous chapters, we have eyes to see how God wants to sanctify us and make us as glory-giving as possible on the final day, mm-hmm. as glorious um, that we might give Christ the glory... Um, if we have wonderful pictures like that in our mind then not praying for those things aware that we're missing out in a sense on some of that but saying all this we then have to go back to what we started with which is that God is sovereign and so us not praying is not going to inhibit his plans and purposes which is to sanctify and prepare us and make us ready and then at that final day Mm. do that completely and fully Um, so in a sense as far as we're concerned pray don't miss out get back to praying ask God to help you pray and also I think that's one of the things I find really helpful and encouraging we can ask God to help us to pray we can ask God to help us to see our privileged position as his sons and daughters before him as father and that then helps us to pray that like God wants to bless us mm-hmm. as, as strange as that might sound like God desires that we might be 
made like Christ, and that is great blessing. And that's some of what Carson talks about, particularly in chapter 10, here with regards to um, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He's praying that they might know who we are in Christ, how privileged our position is. And that comes from knowing our hope better, that comes from knowing God better. And we need to know God's power as well, um, because that that enables us to understand the who we've been called to be. Can we go back for a moment just into a bit more practical stuff? We said a bit about God's character earlier and how Daniel prays because he knows what God has said he will do and he knows that the sovereign God has these attributes. He is um, faithful, for example. Something I found really helpful in, in shaping my prayers practically has been to tie what I'm praying or requesting to an attribute of God. Is that is that something you've kind of come across much before? I don't think it's a pattern that I've incorporated much before. Okay. But I think it's one that I do see in the way that we're led, particularly at Eden. When people mm. lead prayers in the sermon, I think they do a good job of that. That is a good way to learn styles of prayer and, and kind of I think it, for me it helps me kind of bring together what I'm saying to God and, and why I'm able to say that so if I am asking God to not give me what I deserve I will probably pray merciful father because he is he's merciful and he's our father he doesn't need me to remind him of that I need to be reminded of that that helps me to pray. Things like that. And then that's your ground for bringing forward your mm. petition, you're saying. Yes. I suppose it also applies in the sense of the whole coronavirus situation. Mm. I'm asking that this virus come to an end. And I can ask that because you're merciful. I'm also coming to you about this because you're my father. Mm. So... Mm. The two is implicitly setting out your logic for for the request that you're bringing. Mm. I think we've lost some of the richness of all the different names for God that we find in the Bible as well. Mm -hmm. I think I'd like to dig into that a bit more. Um, the God who provides, the God who protects, the God of angel armies. Mm. A final observation that I appreciated, Carson pointing out that for an omnipotent being, there isn't really a sense of difficulty in the same way as for us, in terms of what things are harder to do. And so when, when thinking about God and what of his acts or displays of power, 
to turn to a point out. Instead of trying to think up the hardest one, Carson suggests that Paul instead turns to hunting down what acts of God display most his glory. Mm. So, so difficulties. Which are which are the most glorious acts? Which, which acts demonstrate, like represent, reveal who he is most? That sense of the ones that put him on display most, and we see, oh, wow, this is mm. God and His character. Yeah. Then the three that Paul lists in this passage are Christ being raised from the dead, the power that was in work in that. Mm-hmm. Then the power that's at work in the exalted Christ. And finally, the power exercised by Christ over everything. Mm. And I suppose we can then marvellously bring ourselves and see ourselves within those things because the same power that raised Christ from the dead has raised us and is transforming us now. And that's easy to say without kind of pausing to marvel at that implication for who we are. That we have been raised with Christ. The same power of God that raised Christ is now working in us. So I reckon the sovereignty of God and the fact he is personal should ultimately lead us to worship him, lead us to pray prayers that desire or that latch on to who he is. And ultimately let's be turning to worship rather than being confounded by mysteries that might mess with our mind. God is good. He is his character and we can appeal to him on the basis of those. Thanks for ear hustling in on our conversation today. We hope it was a useful aid to reading along with the book itself, which we really recommend. We're just starting out at this, so we'd love to hear your feedback on how we can improve it. Send in your thoughts. If you have any questions too, how about recording them and sending them over our way? We're still adjusting to all the changes that have been happening, but we're hoping to release at least an episode a week, so stay tuned. But for now, much lockdown love, and see you next time.